everyone. Welcome to the Studio Podcast. First of all, just want to say thanks for listening. We are excited to get this podcast up and running. If you are new to Studio, we are a church in Greenville, South Carolina. Our heart is to create a place where God and people meet so beautiful things can happen and beautiful things are created. Thanks for listening. And with that, let's get right to it. Tanasha, go ahead and come on up. I'm going to say a few things, though. Just come on up. So, I'm going to stay on the other side of you. So, um, Sandwich you. We, we've been running with Tanasha for a number of years. And, you know, you can tell when you're friends and deep relationships, when, when you experience the lows and highs of life. And I just want to say, this is someone that we've been running with for a long time. And when we met in Montgomery, Alabama, last, last April, March, somewhere in there, March. March. And we were on, Candace and I were in sabbatical. We were staying in a friend's house in Alabama. And Tanasha was doing kind of a road trip and said, let's meet in Montgomery. And we spent the day together just checking out a variety of things in that city, just all the history and just, just crazy history. And we ate pizza that night. And we were eating at this, pizza, this restaurant, uh, eating pizza. And Candace and I were just starting, studio was starting to really take some shape to the point like, we're going to give ourselves to this thing. We're kind of in the early stages. And as we just thought through our life of people that we've been running with, we were sitting with Tanasha over a meal, uh, eating pizza, and we pretty much just said, we want to do this with you. Like, we, we don't want to do this without you. Because there's things that Tanasha carries that we need. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. And if you haven't figured that out by now, you will by the end of today. But there's such a something special in Tanasha, just who she is as a human being, what she brings to the table. It's dynamic. It's intelligent, and it's got a whole bunch of Spirit of God involved in it as well. And so we wanted her to help us kick off this, this third part of our series because we're laying a foundation for the future, and what she carried belonged right in the wet cement of it all. Yeah. And so I want you yeah. to just welcome Tanasha because she has something that we all need. So yeah. why don't you just give her one more applause, and I want you to just embrace her. That was a good intro. This better be good then. Shoot. Let me say a quick prayer. <laughs> One thing you're going to learn about me is uh, I do not take myself too seriously, but I take my king seriously. I love to have fun and play and, and be joyful. And today I actually, I was, I was getting ready to come to prepare for this message. And I was like, I'm going to be cute. I'm going to wear my little dress, my little heels. And I said, wait a minute, it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Well, who trying to be cute on Super Bowl Sunday? So I kicked them heels off. I said, let me find some jeans, a studio shirt, you know, get your merch out there. And then, you know, I'm always pitching something. Because <laughs> we just need to be free, right? Just want to be free. I'm going to try. I just want to honor Eric and Candace as well, because when we were in Reading, uh, for those of you that know about Bethel, where we've come from, um, it is what I call a solar system. It's not just one world, one planet. It is a solar system of multiple planets. And you'll find yourself sometimes in revolving in one planet and never meeting anybody from another planet in this entire space that you might even all call home. 
And Eric and Candace were what I would call my forever pastors while I was there. So when they say that we've run together in some lows and highs and we've had some, <laughs> we've had some interesting low moments <laughs> in the thick of it together, but also some really fun, jovial moments that happened around tables and pizza and, and pizza that you've made at your house as well and games and conversation. And so everything that is in their heart, when they spoke to me in Montgomery and, and spouted off a few of their pillars, I said, it sounds like you're telling me to me. Like you, something in you is in me, but we never got a chance to explore that because, again, we were in all these different solar systems at Bethel. So it was the first time I was hearing it, it, it articulated in that particular way, and my heart got to burning. And I was over here calculating all the things. Should I go back to L.A.? Should I go to New York? Should I go? What's Eric and Candace doing? So, right. And I, at the end of the day, I said, I cannot not go. There's something so powerful in you as well, in you both, and I'm excited to be here, honored to be here, to be a part of this family. And you all are going to see more and more unfold over these months to see what's on the inside of them at a depth. What you've seen up here, there's a there's the, um, what do I call it, the, the, the kingly presentation of Eric and Candace. And the more you get in flow with them and a rhythm with them, you get layers and layers of authenticity and truth and goodness and covering. So I'm just honored to be here. Thanks for trusting me. Thanks for loving me. Um, and, and thanks for, for giving me space to have a home. Yeah. Yeah, give it up for Eric and Candace. Yeah. Yeah. We're in this Future Ready series, y'all, and I love talking about the future. Okay, I'm a poet, so sometimes I can swim in all of these kind of abstract spaces, and sometimes the future can feel very abstract to us, right? And so I love it. I love just making up words, talking about the future, the world that exists beyond the planes of existence. I don't know. I just get into a space where I'm just thinking about those particular spaces. But the future really can be defined. It doesn't have to stay in some kind of abstract. Eric did an incredible job last week of unpacking how we get choice in that future, how we get to create in that future. And I want to unpack how or from what we create that future. Turn in your Bibles if you have them, or your digital Bibles if you have them, to Romans 8. We're going to read verses 18 through 23. See, some folks in here are pretty red in their Bible, so, so I already heard some amens because you know what it is in your devotion time. Mm-hmm. Now, I, 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 listen, I, I say all these little isms and things. You're going to hear, mm-hmm, amen, turn to your neighbor for me. I'm black, okay? So we got a little black church isms. Just go with it. Just flow with it. I, I, I'll even give you this one. You probably might hear me say, child. Now, if you hear me say that, okay, what I'm really saying is the word child. Okay, it's just no D at the end. We spell it C-H-I-L-E, but it is not the country, Chile. It is child, okay? And who is child? I am child, you are child, we are child, okay? So I might be like, oh, child, this is getting good. I am talking to you, you can say amen, okay? Or you can say, ooh, child, yes. You, whatever, whatever floats your boat in that moment. So we're in Romans, and I want to talk about creation that is groaning for the future. Romans is a letter that this man named 
Paul wrote to this church, the church within Rome. Who's Paul? Paul was this crazy zealot of a man. Before he became someone who believed in Jesus, he was a Jewish man who was so crazy on fire for his devout faith of Judaism. So much so, like he knew every bit of, of the Torah, which was the Bible, their version of the Bible at that time. He was very religious and he would make people follow the rules and he even became someone that persecuted Christians to the point of death for many of them. Because when this man named Jesus came on the scene and said, hey, wait a minute, that book you've been reading, they talking about me. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one on the scene come to set you free. So you might want to continue the story and not just stop there. Paul wanted to stop there. And he said, this is a fraud. And so he persecuted many people who were worshiping this Jesus as the continuation of that story as God. They were saying Jesus is the Lord. And he says, no, 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 no. This is not what Moses laid for us. Now, Paul is journeying one day and he gets thwacked by the, God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus literally appears to him as light, throws him off his horse. He is blind for several days. He meets Jesus and Jesus lets him know, you need to stop persecuting my people and you need to become one of them. And so Paul became one of them, and he began to preach and minister and raise up so many people to believe in God, and his impact is so powerful that we're still reading his letters today. This letter, a portion of this that we're going to read right now, is something that he wrote to this church in Rome. When he would raise up pastors and leaders in different places, he would write them letters to keep them going in the faith, to train them, to teach them, to encourage them, sometimes to correct them, to help them learn how to do this new Jesus walk. So we're going to pick up in this space where he's talking to the, the church of Rome about, about how creation is groaning. Romans 8, verses 18, it says... I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's a lot being said in there. Paul is talking about creation groaning. He's talking about birthing pains. He's talking about the children of God. I want to break down some of the, the words that are used here because the book of Romans was not first written in English. Okay, it's written in Greek, and so I want to bring up some of these words for us to understand a little bit what's happening underneath the surface here. There's a translation that actually says it doesn't start off with creation, uh, creation waits with eager longing. It starts off with for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. That space, that word that says for the anxious longing, I'm going to really mess this Greek word up. <clears throat> Child, follow with me. It's it's. Apocaradokia. <laughs> Sounds like tongues, doesn't it? Hallelujah. It means strained expectation for the earnest to watch with head erect or outstretched, to direct attention to anything, to wait for in suspense. I was thinking about that. Like, you know when, you, when you're sitting on the edge of your seat at a good movie and you're trying to see what's going to happen next and you get to turning your head like what's around that corner as if you turning your head is going to help you see what's around that corner on the screen? This is what's happening to sit 
forward, head erect, wondering, expecting what's coming around the corner, creating, creation is waiting on the edge of its seat, on its edge of its toes, waiting for what's coming around the corner, the future that is to come. Uh, in verse 22, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. Groaning in, y'all, I ain't never had no kids. We're the women in the room that have had children. God bless you. God, all I, all I can do is use my imagination. There's a groaning and a moaning when something is about to be birthed because there is actual pain, the pressure that is pushing everything to the point where it needs to then be birthed into existence. That's a pretty painful thing. This, the Greek word for groaning in Romans 8 here is sustenazo. It means to lament, to moan jointly, to experience a common calamity, grown together. That word calamity stuck with me. It was like, interesting. Creation is feeling this calamity. And I look at our day and I'm like, wow, yeah, creation is experiencing calamities. What are the calamities of our day? We've got sex trafficking issues. We've got racism, we've got poverty. We've got certain things that are happening in marriages and brokenness in homes. We've got issues at borders and, and people not knowing how to live in a global brotherhood. We've got issues. There are issues of others' days, other generations, world wars, apartheid. Every generation has to deal with its calamities. I would like to propose to all of us that these calamities are the groanings creation groaning, moaning, needing something to be revealed. Because all of this creation has been subjected to futility, AKA Adam, the first man. You done messed up, Adam. Look what you did. You put all of us through this. Have y'all ever been like, if you have siblings, this was, this was my upbringing. There was one time I got this spanking that I will never forget and I will continue to tell my daddy about. Me and my brother are literally in the bathroom brushing our teeth. We share this little bathroom. I used to actually want to be a dentist, fun fact. So I'm brushing my teeth very thorough, might I add. And my brother told me, we're arguing about something, he tells me to shut up. Now we were going through a period of time where my dad was like, you will not tell each other to shut up. He hears us from all the way down in the den and he says, come here. And I'm like, see, you got us in trouble. So then we're going down and he's like, bend over and touch your toes. I'm like, me too, he said it. I didn't even say shut up. And here I am getting a whooping for my brother telling me to shut up. So then I went and I told my mama, mama, this ain't fair. He gave me a whooping because he told me to shut up. And my dad's like, come back here. You're getting another one. I'm like, what in the world? Who started this mess? My brother. Like our brother, Adam. Who started this mess? We did not ask for this. We did not ask for the state of the world that we live in but something ushered it into this particular moment. The same way our souls are groaning for freedom from this mess, all of the cosmos is too. All of the cosmos is waiting for a beautiful future of freedom, of delight, of joy, of oneness back with how God intended things to be. Now, most of us will look at all of the darkness in the world and the calamities in the world and we'll spend our time critiquing it. Look how dark it is. Look how filthy that is over there. Look how, oh my gosh, I can't believe all oh, the things that are happening. 
What if the groanings were the invitation? What if we stopped critiquing them and started interpreting them? That I would look at these groanings and go, wait a minute, what recipe does that groaning need? What solution does that groaning need? What creativity does this groaning need? Because the condemning energy is not operating in the very energy of our Father who continues to create, who continues to redeem, who continues to restore. We need a new lens when we look at this future that we are partnering with God to create. These calamities are our invitation to join with the Father to create. I want to talk about how we're going to get there, though. I'm from the South. I'm from Oklahoma. Any Oklahomans in the room? Oklahomans? Hey, 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 hey. Now, some people are like, that's not the South. That's smack dab in the middle of the country. Ain't that the Midwest, honey? Ain't nothing Midwest about Oklahoma. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, we are cousins with Texas, and we do not know what's going on in Kansas. <laughs> we, we are very Oklahoman, okay? We are very Southern. We got the y'alls, we got, you know, we got the draws, we got, we got all of it, okay? We slow, just, just taking our little precious time to get from A to Z. We are Southern, okay? But something about the culture in the South, uh, it, I started to realize the more I journeyed as a disciple of Jesus, it was corroding some of my understanding of the Father. Because in, in the South, we love to be polished and put together. We love to make sure that, that the Joneses over there know that we, we have what we need over here. We, we love to be proper and, and never be caught undignified, never be caught slipping, as they say, right? Because we don't want them to think crazy about us. You know, have you ever had your mom and them tell you, like, don't be, don't be going out there dishonoring my name. You can't be out here and, and, and them thinking that we don't raise our kids right in our house. There is this thing that I was cultivated in in the South to always be on alert of what people think. To always be on alert of presenting myself. To always being so dang perfect. The only problem with it is it's unattainable. Why even try? setting myself up for failure. And, and on top of that, it's not even what the Father told me to do. It's not the reality that he set up for me at all. I want to go to a famous parable in Luke. Luke 15. Now, Jesus, <laughs> I talked about the first Adam who got us into this mess. The Bible talks about Jesus being the second Adam who gets us out of the mess. And he is the son of man and the son of God. And when he walked this earth in the flesh, he shared so many crazy cool parables just to describe what the kingdom of God is like. This kingdom that is the original idea that, he, that God, his father, wants everyone back in connection with. And I want to read this famous parable that he gives about the prodigal son. I'm going to start in verse 11 of Luke 15. And I'm going to read the first half of this parable. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This is Jesus trying to get people's brains to wrap around what the heavenly father looks like. What the heavenly father is doing when he sees us in the middle of our mess. Wanting to come back to him. See, most people would go, oop, we're going to get in trouble when we get home. Instead of getting chastised, he got a feast because he had returned. Now, I wanna point out four key elements in this particular, the gifts that the father gave this prodigal son. And when I get point out these elements, I want you to think about the gifts that the father gives you. Because at some point, everyone in this room has been a prodigal or you are a prodigal, and these gifts are all of ours. The first thing was the feasting table. Sons sit at tables with their father. They have access to his provision, his dwelling place, and access to him. The second thing was this garment that he covered him with. Sons are covered by God's identity. Sin and shame are replaced with royalty, dignity, the ring that he put on his finger. The cool thing about rings, especially in a kingdom, is if you wore a king's ring, it's the king's insignia, and you could move in authority and power with this ring, meaning you could use wax and put the, the seal of the ring onto the wax, and it would represent the seal of the king. Many of us pray in Jesus' name. It's the seal in the king's name. He puts a ring on his son's finger, telling him, servant, no, son, You are in this family, and you are given a family position. You are given family authority. Sandals were the last thing. I find it interesting because he had hired himself out to work for this other citizen. And in this cultural time, people that that operated as slaves, they took their shoes from them so they wouldn't run away. And the father gives him sandals. What is he telling him? You are no slave. You have freedom to walk and tread wherever you want to because you always belong here and you can always come home. I don't need to control you to move in the power and the authority of family that is invited here to you. What does this have to do with creation groaning? In Romans 8, it says all of creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed If we don't know we're sons, how are we going to build the future with the father? If we're so busy trying to perform our identity in God, how are we going to release who we are in him? 
God is not wanting us to build the future as slaves. He is not wanting us to build the future as servants. He is not even wanting us to build the future as soldiers. He's wanting us to build the future as sons. Now, I say sons and ladies are like, what about me? Honey, that's you too. We're talking about mankind. We're talking about a positional relationship. The children of God are the sons and the daughters of God. And he's saying, I crown you with sonship. If you have returned home to me, guess what? I have a feasting table for you and you have access to me. If you have returned home to me, guess what? I have a garment to cover you. All that sin, all that shame, all that performance, all that trying to be perfect all by yourself. You need to take that off and wear my garment. When you've come home to him, he gives you sandals that you would walk freely, that wherever you tread your feet, there goes the kingdom. And when you return home to him, he gives you a ring. You are in his family. You have his seal. You can move as him. And it makes sense when Jesus says, as I am, so are you in the world. But only through the position of sonship. See, my problem was I was trying to perform it. How can you perform sonship? Servants can perform tasks. Soldiers can perform duties. How can sons perform sonship? I was trying to do it perfectly, always say the right things, never cuss, never act this particular way, combat every single thought and, and, and control myself to be the perfect little angel for Jesus. And he says, whoa, aren't you tired? That's a whole lot of performing, and that was never in your script. There's an invitation on the table for all of us to revisit what's sitting in the foundations of how we approach building, period. Because we need sonship to be the foundation that we launch from as we build. The father is building a future with his sons and his daughters. It's the sons and the daughters that get access to friendship. And when you get access to friendship, you get access to secrets and mysteries of the kingdom that the world knows not of. And when you show up on the scene, you show up as a solution. You show up as a solution to the groaning of creation. And sometimes that solution might be an irritation, <laughs> might be an agitation. But it is, it is the beauty of God made manifest through you. Because you first let it sit in you, rest in you. Sons and daughters don't perform our identity as sons and daughters. We receive it. And we rest in it. We let it affect us. And then we release it through who we are. We, we let his nature be the very reflection that we, that we put out into all of the cosmos. But if we don't understand that we're sons and daughters, what reflection are we putting out? He's not a taskmaster. He does not seek to control. As I was pondering on this too, I was thinking about like the way God presents himself through scripture. He is such an interesting being. He does not, I find it interesting, it's hard to like put just one name on God, right? What, 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 what do you call God? Well, he's God. Yeah, but uh, he's also Jehovah Jireh, provider. He's Jehovah Shalom, God of peace. He's, he's, he's Yahweh. He's the I am. He's ancient of days. Jesus said, pray this prayer, our father. And I realized looking through a lot of scripture, I'm like, God, he always describes himself relationally. Through the lens of connection. 
through means by which we can actually attach ourselves to him and go, let me experience this aspect of your nature. And many of us have gotten used to the aspect of God sending us on assignments. Many of us have gotten used to God like correcting us when we've been just wiling out. But how many of us have sat with the Father to go, what does this feel like to receive from a dad? Like, and to be okay with even just calling him dad. It took me a minute. I was like, call God dad? Oh, it's sacrilegious. <laughs> so I felt, I'm like, but the Lord is like, I, I call you daughter. I, I give you intimate names. Don't you want to be intimately close with me and experience me in this particular way? He's inviting us right now to sit and receive before we build so that many of us don't go into the future still building from performance. But we go into the future building from sonship, settled in who we are in the Lord, settled. I want to tell you all a funny story about when this moment hit me. <laughs> I was in Los Angeles. Many of you know I'm an actor and I'm a filmmaker, and I was going for it. And I did not realize that me moving to L.A. was actually me crashing into God. And he had sent me there. I was ready. And there was one day I was doing this production with Long Beach Opera. And um, we were doing this. It was an opera company, but they were really trying to do this musical. And we had all these dance moves. I mean, like, we were getting it. And, and, but the dance services were not the greatest. And my little knees, <laughs> y'all, it's not like I used to be. Okay, not back in the day. I had an 11-year injury in both my knees. And all of this dancing was just flaring it all up. There was a friend talking to me at that time about like miracles, signs, and wonders. I had never heard of this. Now, I'm a preacher's kid from Oklahoma who grew up with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. <laughs> now, we did talk about the Holy Spirit, and we did kind of pray in tongues, but it was not like I understood the person of the Holy Spirit. And I, and I kind of understood concepts of God the Father because I had a really great earth, have a really great earthly father. But there was something still disconnected because I was in performance mode. Well, God decided he wanted me to meet me one day. He said, okay, this has been cute up to this point, but it changes today. I'm sitting watching a video of this woman named Heidi Baker. She is, yeah, she is a missionary that many of you all know who from Orange County went to Mozambique to be with the Makua Bride. And she's telling all these testimonies of healings, the way that God has tangibly touched people. And I'm like, this is crazy. God heals today like this. And then what's crazy on top of that, she, was, she had these really interesting movements that she was doing. And I'd never seen what happens when the power of God hits a human body. So I'm like, what's going on with her? She got, she got, she got some, some critters. <laughs> something's, something's not right. Um, or is something right? I, I was confused, okay? The future was sitting in front of me and I didn't know what it looked like. And I remember pointing at the screen and being like, ah, she looked like she'd been with Jesus. Don't even ask me why I say that. I have no clue where it came from. I do not remember thinking the thought in my brain, but it came out my mouth. And I felt the Lord convict me so strongly, Kunk, my heart hits my rib cage. And he says, you're mocking what you don't have. I immediately repent. I said, well, then I want that, and I black out. I kid y'all not, I do not know what happened until I came to, heat's in my room. I'm literally sweating profusely as if heat's been in my room for several hours. There's no heat on in my house because it's 80 degrees in LA in January. And I'm like, 
what is going on? God was in my room. It felt like there was a presence over my shoulder. I'm like, you know that feeling when somebody's standing behind you? It was just everywhere in the room. And my spirit was spinning. And all I could do was pray. All I could do was pray. And I remembered some of her testimonies about healings. And I said, yeah, God in this atmosphere, heal my knees. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And then I got sleepy and I went to bed. And I woke up the next day completely healed. Eleven years of an injury, one moment with God. But what was crazy is it didn't actually make me want more miracles. It made me want more of who was that that just showed up in my room. I need to know who this is. And over the course of a year, in moments of just crying out and praying and worshiping and waiting for him to show up again, I realized I never tried the relationship thing. I had only been doing the performing thing because my soul was convinced he was savior, but my soul was not convinced I was reconciled. So I'm sitting in my room and I'm praying and I'm praying and I'm praying and God tells me one day, Tanasha, you want me to tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. But I want to tell you, here is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And in a moment, my mindset shifted. It was no longer me trying to be a servant of God. I was trying to be a daughter of God. It was no longer me trying to just prove something to him and win his approval. It was me trying to go, what's in your heart? And let me just go and do that. Let me go and release that. Let me go and be that. Let me go and pour that out. It flipped everything in my world upside down. I became undignified. <laughs> I didn't care what nobody thought. I'd walk up to people in the street going, honey, why you got that cane? <laughs> Hold up. That ain't the Lord's will. Let me see this. <laughs> and I'm praying for people and people are getting healed. I'm, I'm in moments where I used to look around as I'm worshiping and I'm going, why are they looking at me? Why? And I'm like, I don't care. I'm on the floor. Tears are flowing from my eyes because something was now alive on the inside of me. I couldn't hold it back. I couldn't let it sit there and just look at it. I had to become it. I had to become free. The stamp of a son is that we're joint heirs with Christ, who's son of God and son of man. We get to come boldly before the throne of grace, not tiptoeing. We get to walk in confidence, even in the midst of chaos. And we got some chaos and some calamities in our day. We have access to his secrets and mysteries through friendship. We can worship freely and undignified. We get to rest in knowing we did not save ourselves. We did not save ourselves. He saved us. Can't work for it. Can't prove yourself for it. All you can do is go thank you for the gift and show him that you're grateful. I want to share a story just to close. Because we're in this cultural moment. And God wants to build the future with his sons and his daughters. Not with servants, not with slaves, not with soldiers, but with sons. And it's Black History Month, so I want to share a story from Black History. This is the story of a, a young man who was enslaved in the early 1800s. He was born into slavery as a biracial man. His father was actually white, and his mother was a slave. Excuse me, his mother was enslaved. That's something that we're working on as a generation is not identifying a community uh, as slaves. They were humans who were enslaved. 
And, and so he was born to a white father and an enslaved African woman. And his mother was sold off in, into slavery, into another sector of slavery. And so he was really orphaned. And when he was 13 years old, he gives his life to the Lord. And there are Methodist ministers that are coming through and preaching and teaching. And something's coming alive in him. He ends up being sort of brought in under the man's, uh, this man's name, Charles Johnson, who disciples him shows him the ways of the Father. They sing, they worship together, they praise together. They are in this space where they're like, God is so amazing, and he's enslaved. He started getting these new desires and these new hopes, and he's enslaved. He started feeling like, oh my gosh, something in the future could happen because I sensed the power of this, this being on the inside of me, even though he was enslaved. September 3rd, 1838, he decides to run away. Now, this is pretty dangerous. The Slave Fugitive Act has already been put out. This was a, an act that made it impossible for a lot of people to stay free when they, when they ran away to freedom because they would go up to the northern states and have legal papers to bring you back into slavery. Now, this is what was also scary. Even if you were a, a, a black person already free, they could still pull you back and just lie and say, that was my slave. So this ended up creating a huge, um, a huge layer that we call the domestic slave trade where slavery grew and it became even more vicious. Now, he decides he's still going to try to escape. He disguises himself as a sailor. He's given these free papers to prove to people, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm free, but it's fake free papers. And he gets on this train, crossing his fingers that no one is going to stop him and see if he is really a free man or an enslaved man. You can come for it again. Yeah. And so he, get, he decides that he's going to wait till the train goes off, and he jumps on right at the edge of it, gets on the train, and sits so that the conductor or the, the train authority doesn't have much time to look over his papers. He's like, I don't have my free papers with me. He goes, you don't have your free papers. He goes, no, 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 I don't take them out to see. He says, but I have this particular document, and it had a, golden, a gold seal on it. And so the, the authority looks at him. He's like, okay, I'll take it, and keeps going. He's like, whew, thank God I got past that one. But every single stop was another moment he would get caught. And every time he had to pray, God, let this one, let this just, let, let this, let me get through to the other side on his way to New York. There was even a man who was a blacksmith that got on the train, and he was looking at him like, I know you. I know you. He had known him from back when, when he was in slavery. He's like, oh no, he's going to give me away. But something in this man was like, I won't, I won't give him away. And he was able to cross the border into New York as a free man. But he also wasn't all the way free because there was this Slave Fugitive Act that was out. And so he was taken in by some anti-slavery activists. They fed him, gave him shelter. They even married him to the love of his life. He became a Methodist minister. Many people corralled around him and raised money for him to become legally free. This man's name is Frederick Douglass. He became one of the most incredible speakers and orators of, of that day. He was actually the most photographed man in that day, even more photographed than Abraham Lincoln, because he wanted something to be seen that looked like freedom. He wanted people to see a black man free. He wanted to be revealed. He ended up becoming so favored. He used the gospel to awaken the conscience of America. 
He became an irritation to slavery. His favor landed him in rooms with President Abraham Lincoln himself, where he was able to influence him as he was deciding to pass the Emancipation Proclamation and later the 13th Amendment. This man who was born an orphan and into slavery did not let that define him because sonship was burning inside of him. It was the sonship that compelled him forward. It was the sonship that brought him into a space where he's like, I've got to show the country another way. It was the sonship that compelled him to rally around the gospel to say, please let your heart beat inside of you that you would see these people you have enslaved as your brothers and your sisters under the spirit of adoption. See, God is wanting us not to be performing. He's wanting us to be revealed. Every single one of us to be revealed. He doesn't want to hide you. He's not ashamed of you. He wants to show you off to the world, to all of the cosmos, actually. There's scripture that says to preach the gospel to all of creation. Because when they see you, they will see God. When they see the freedom you're walking in, they will taste freedom and they will want it. And I'm not talking about the the current cultural conversation around freedom oftentimes means the rights within a country. I'm talking about that mess Adam got us into, where we were bondage to performance where we were in bondage to be slaves to sin. That is no longer our nature. He calls us sons. He calls us daughters. And we get to walk in this and we get to reveal this. And this future that we're building, we have to build it in that light. The word revelation, uh, to be revealed, it actually comes from the word apocalypse. (laughs) Sounds crazy, right? Apocalypse. It's the word that we get apocalypse from. And most of us think doom and gloom when we think about apocalypse, but it means unveiling. It doesn't mean doom and gloom, it means, whoo, glory's on the scene. You're on the scene. And if we are so busy performing, so busy wearing a mask, presenting ourselves, when will we get to finally show up as ourselves? Creation is waiting for you to show up as yourself as a son and as a daughter of God. Literally, the future is waiting for your arrival. The future is waiting for your arrival. All of creation is groaning for your arrival. I wanna end with this little poem. And if you are someone in this room uh, who's ready to put down the mask, I just want you to let this seep into your bones. If you're someone in the room who's done performing, you're done, when you feel that flame, you're done holding it back. If you're you're someone who you've got these ideas and you've been judging yourself, it's time to let that go. Let this poem just hit you in your core. Hmm. He is lifting the veil now, the veil from your eyes to see you were always his goal, his prize. The Father from on high doesn't just beckon you. He desires you right here, close, type close, seated at the right hand at his feasting table, invited into the inner chambers of his heart and goodness and truth and light. You are his delight. Let the light of his being permeate your soul and sit. Sit in it. 
sit, be close, right here type close, where sons are birthed and daughters are dreamed into their destinies. The cosmos is crying out, moaning, groaning, waiting in suspense with anticipation for not your performance, but your arrival for not your masks and polishings, but your being. Like a mirror beaming back eternal love on gaping wounds, filling up voids, sealing up chasms, healing up suffering that testifies of an ache longing to be satisfied. You are the personification of that ache satisfied. So be revealed, be revealed. Let the resting place in his presence be the launching pad to your lived out love. Let the beauty of your father's love billow up in you to be about your father's business. And may you build the future as sons of a father who knows what the future holds and still invites you to add to the story. So may the story be full. May the story be heavenly. And may the story be family. Yeah. Amen. Can we all stand to our feet, please? such a good time to be alive. I love this, the prodigal son parable, because the words of the father at the end of it is him saying, my son was dead, but now he's alive. And there's many of us in this room breathing, and I do wonder if every one of us in here is alive, alive in him. Everyone in here might actually already know Jesus, but I just want to make space just in case. If you're someone in here and you don't know that Jesus I was talking about, the one who died on the cross, that he would actually become sin, every single imperfection and place that made brokenness in this world. And he said, you know what? I will be God and man just to come into this human story to heal the human story. He's the one that made it possible to enter back into connection with God himself. If you don't know him, but you want to know him, and you want to be like this son, embraced by the father, fully alive, just raise your hand. Just wanna make space. If it's you and you are in that space, just raise your hand. Amen. See you, amen. If you are someone who you're like, oop, I've been away from my father for a while and I actually want to come back. I want those gifts. I want that feasting table. I want that ring. I want that robe. I want those sandals. I, I want to be back in oneness with my father. I want sonship. I want to be a daughter. If that's you, please raise your hand and be bold about what you want. Amen. I see you. Thank you. Yeah, I see you. Can we all put our hands in our hearts? If you're that person that raised your hand, I just want you to know, ain't no fancy prayer that gets you back in. It was that decision right then and there. Your heart connecting with what you want, seeing the Father and the invitation and saying, I'll come to the party. That was you coming back in. For those that raised their hand as, as their family, can we just give them a round of applause welcoming that, them back into the family? <laughs> Oh, we can do better than that. This is a celebration at a feasting table with our brothers and sisters that have come back to the family. <laughs> we are in a cultural moment where many prophets have prophesied about a billion soul harvest, billion soul youth harvest. 
Meaning that even if the mamas and daddies get saved too, it's going to be more than a billion souls. We want them to be saved not into a service, but into a family. To a feasting table. That means we have to be the sons and daughters that show them what family looks like. We have to be caught being sons and caught being daughters so that they can see and emulate following you as you follow Christ, embracing them and pulling them in and letting them know you can rest your head here. You can be here and you can be catapulted from here. So I just wanna pray for us to actually carry that. God, I thank you for, for allowing us to live in this day. You didn't pick any other day for us to live. You chose 2022 that we would live, move, and have our being in you. And I ask God right now that you would permeate our whole being with the revelation of your father love. That it would hit us to our core. That we would walk in the power of breakthrough because we're walking in the power of sonship and daughterhood. And I come against right now every single um, act of the enemy that has tried to pull you into performance, into masks, into pretending, into holding yourself back. And I release you into the fullness of who God has designed you to be, fully reflecting who he is to this world. He is father. You are son. You are daughter. And he stamps you with it. And I say yes and amen to your marking. God, I pray that as we walk out of even these doors and go and have our Super Bowl fun and, and are out in the Greenville streets, that we be caught being sons and daughters, that we be caught feasting, caught having access to the King, we be caught loving, inviting people into the community of the Trinity. Lord, we love you. And I just ask that, God, that you would make this revelation plain and clear, that we would go from glory to glory in this. This would not just be the end. It would be the beginning of a new reality. And that as we build this future as sons and daughters, we build heaven on this earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your family will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's talk. If you're interested in learning more about Studio here in Greenville, you can check out our website, studiogreenville.com. And you can give us a follow on Instagram. Our handle is studio.greenville. Have a great week.